So persecution has always been a part of the church from the beginning of the church till today. And we, these candles represent eight of the top eight uh, nations where persecution is just absolutely rampant, that a meeting like this could not take place, that uh, the standing up and saying that you're a follower of Jesus Christ uh, is just a suicide uh, thing to do. And so this is, as I said, it's something that's always been part of the church from the very beginning. In fact, in uh, the great fire in Rome in, in uh, A.D. 64, in A.D. 64, Nero, who was the ruler, the Roman ruler, tried to pl- pin the blame of the great fire of Rome on the Christians. A, a small population of Christian community tried to pin the blame on many of them. And, and there are many people who believe that this was the the. the the, the result of this was the death of, of, of Peter and, and, and Paul, who were martyred probably as a result of this, the persecution. So the early church knew what persecution was. In fact, they, they used the word, uh, the, the word a martyr means witness. And uh, it was used it, throughout, it's, that's the way it's used throughout the, the whole New Testament. However, in the Roman Empire... Uh, it, as it became increasingly hostile towards Christianity, the distinction between witnessing, and, or, or they used the phrase confessing Christ, they, they used that almost interchangeably, witnessing or confessing, and suffering became blurred, and it finally was non-existent. It, it was just, they, they, there was really no difference between it. This weekend, we want to examine the persecution of the early church, and we want to pray with them, and you know, a number of the prayers prayed for them. And what we mean by with them is because we as Americans pray different than many of our brothers and sisters who are under persecution. We pray that God would take the persecution away, that God would give them the freedom to assemble like we have and all those other things. That's not the prayers they want. They realize that persecution is a part of their lot. And so they don't want us to pray for them to be set free from their persecution. They want opportunities to witness, opportunities for the gospel to be uh, sown. Uh, that's what they're praying for. They, they, they're, they're not looking to be like Americans, rescued from pain and suffering. They feel like that's an honorable place for them to be. So as we pray for them, you need to remember that. Because what we do as Americans, we want to pray all their problems away like we do our own lives. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for an opportunity to reach their country, their neighborhoods, their families, their neighbors. Now, as we've already seen from the videos and from what we've heard, persecution was a way of life for many people around the world today. And we felt it was really important for us to take this weekend and just remember our brothers and sisters who are under persecution. According to the Pew Research Center, 75% of the world's population, three-quarters of the world's population, lives in areas with severe religious restrictions. Three-quarters of the population of the world lives in a place where you cannot worship freely. Let me say it one more time so it sinks in. Three-quarters of the world lives in in an environment where they're not able to gather like we are and worship. It's something we have to remember. It's something we have to say, thank goodness, thank God that we can worship this weekend, right? According to the State Department, 
uh, the United States Department of State, Christians, uh, Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. This weekend, we're going to look at the first martyr of the church that we have recorded in the scriptures. And his name is Stephen. And we're going to see some, but I want to give you a little background information because I want you to see kind of how, how did it come about that Stephen became a martyr? You know, <laughs> you know, how does that work that you become a martyr? The early church was challenged from the beginning. So what I'd love you to do is if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 6. It's on page 834. I'll be at 834 and 835, page 834, 835, Acts chapter 6. And I just want to read so you can get a, an idea of what's going on in the early church. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Acts 6, verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Can you believe that? A church where there's discontent? Hard to believe, isn't it? We'll have to use our imagination. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God and not running a food program. And we'll talk more about that running a food program, what that means in a moment. And so, brothers... Select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and in wisdom. And we will, give, we will give them this responsibility. So Stephen was chosen, as you read down through this passage, as one of those twelve. And he became, uh, really, one of the first deacons of the church. And I remember hearing this in a sermon long ago that a pastor got up and says, The problem with deacons is they don't deacon enough. <laughs> and that's probably true. But the distribution of food to the Greek-speaking widows had become a real problem. These widows were being overlooked, and it was brought to the attention of the twelve, the apostles. And so they said, well, we have to really dedicate ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God. And they decided to delegate this activity. Now, understand it. They weren't delegating it because they said, well, we're too good for this. That's not the point. They were saying that our responsibility is the teaching of the Word, and we need to find somebody who can do this task, who are responsible and will do a good job, but it can't take us away from the primary responsibility we have of teaching the Word of God. And at this point in the church, it really needed the, the 12 teaching and leading. Um, so they're not saying it was beneath us. That's not their point. Their point was it was an expedient for the good of the church for that to take place. So they looked for seven faithful men. Stephen was chosen. Now, I, I said we'd get back to this. Some of you read this translation. And in your translation, and, and uh, the, the, the ones we have said running a food program, and that's a kind of a, a summary of what was taking place. But as you look at that, some of your translations, the more literal translations, say serving tables. Serving tables. Well, the word, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, tell you the, the, the Greek word. And some of you will say, listen, I think I know Greek because I know that word. And the Greek word is diakoneo. Diakoneo. What does that sound like? Well, pastor, it sounds like deacon. Are you telling me that I already know a Greek word? You do. That, and so many people have said this was the, that's the word, the formal word deacon wasn't used there. But what it means is a deacon is primarily what? 
servant. Servant. Let's find some servants. To So Stephen began as a servant. A diakoneo, a servant. And he began taking care of widows and making sure that they had enough food. And so that's where this word, we get the word deacon from. And that's where in Timothy and Titus we see the identification of the characteristics of deacons, deaconesses. So most scholars believe this was the first appearance of deacons within the church. Stephen was one of the first deacons. Literally, he was a servant. And uh, you know what I found is this, and this is my experience, that people want to lead something, they want to do something big, but not too many people come and say, where can I serve? I don't really care. I, don't want to, I just want to serve people. I just want to be there to serve behind the scenes. I don't want any notoriety. I don't want anybody to know. I just, I just want to serve. If it's servanthood is the foundation of any ministry in a local church from top to bottom. Being servants to one another is one of the foundational characteristics of any church. Stephen began as a servant. Began as a servant. Now, the Roman Emperor Julian, one of the fiercest persecutors of the early Christians, admitted in disgust. This is what he said about Christians. He was so disgusted with them. He said, the godless Galileans, and the Galileans think of it as another phrase or another idea for the Christians. He's using that kind of interchangeably. The godless Galileans, because what Jesus was of Galilee, they were followers of the Galilean, right? The godless Galileans feed the poor in addition to their own. In other words, they care about people. They care about people. They care about the poor. No one else cares about the poor, but the Christians do. Uh, Francis Schaeffer uh, was an apologist uh, a number of years ago, uh, very uh, just wonderful leader in the early in the church. And he said this, the love of the church is the church's most effective apologetic. You know, you've heard that phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And so Schaeffer is basically saying when the church begins to really serve the poor, the downtrodden, the disenfranchised, the discouraged, they become a powerful witness. I believe many of our brothers and sisters would say the, ba- the greatest opportunity we have to bring the gospel to hearts of people is that we begin to serve those who are struggling. You say, well, aren't you sure? Yeah, but we can still serve somebody, right? So Stephen began as a servant. You know, and he died as a servant. He began as a servant of Greek widows, and he lived and died as a servant of Jesus Christ. But he grew to become a teacher. Because if you continue reading through that chapter and into chapter 7, you'll see Peter, uh, Stephen had quite the sermon. <laughs> he grew to become a teacher. And, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of important things the church needs to do. Serving is one of them. But they basically said, the apostles, the twelve said, but we must dedicate ourselves to the primary function of the church, the teaching of the word of God. And so uh, we want to look at Stephen's sermon because he started serving widows, but he ended preaching to an angry crowd. Stephen began as a servant and he ended as a preacher to a largest crowd. Uh, in fact, when you read the book of Acts, Stephen's sermon is one of the longest sermons in the book of Acts. And um, the response to his sermon was they stoned him to death. I'm so glad they don't do that today. 
But he devoted himself to the apostles' teaching. Look at the the portion of his sermon. Uh, Go down to verse 51. It's on page 835. Uh, Acts 51, or 7, chapter 7, verse 51. You say, well, pastor, what were they so hot about? What were they so upset about? Well, listen to this. You stubborn people, you heathen, you are heathen at heart and death to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. And so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed one, the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. Speaking of Jesus, you deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing. You might want to underline that, Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. We know Jesus is seated at the right hand, but now he's standing. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he told them, look. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul who would become Paul. And they stoned Stephen. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus Receive my spirit. Now, we jump to the middle of his message, actually towards the end of his message. Let me summarize the message for you. You can go back and read through the whole thing in Acts 6, but let me summarize it. Point number one, Israel, you've always resisted and mistreated the prophets who were sent to you by God. You've always done that. You never received. You never listened. You never... uh, heard the prophets that God sent you. Secondly, following the law will never save you because you're not able to keep it. You've never been able to keep it. And it it, it can't give you a new heart. The law can't give you a new heart, which is what you really need. That was essentially what he preached. And he didn't get uh, glowing reviews. He finished as a martyr. Stephen did. You know, the interesting thing is, Stephen did everything well. It's very hard as you read through the life of Stephen to find anything that he said or did wrong. I mean, he did everything right. And sometimes we think, well, if I live my life for Jesus, if I live, live my life to honor him, if I live a good life, then my life should go well. It should go easy. It should be great. I'm not sure where you find that in Scripture. See, Stephen did everything well. He he it's hard to find a flaw in his obedience to God. It's hard to find any fault in him at all. And yet he still ended up dead. Because he was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. See, the early church viewed martyrdom different than we do. We see it as something to avoid, something we don't want, something, you know, if we don't have to deal with it, we just don't want to do it. And I understand that. We've been, we've been raised in a, in a country where we have freedoms that we often, not often, we do. We, let's be honest. We take them for granted. The early church saw martyrdom as an incredibly honorable way to die. In fact, many who, who, who 
who were tortured over and over saw themselves only as confessors. Remember I said the idea that they were witnesses and confessors and witnesses was similar. So they saw themselves as confessors but not martyrs. Now, I'm going to read you a rather lengthy passage, and I'm going to tell you what it says. This is a very early passage. This was written by uh, Eusebius in Lyons, which is kind of modern-day France. So he's describing the early church and these people who are being constantly persecuted over and over and over. And basically, these people are saying, do not call us martyrs, because we're not. Okay, so that's what he's going to say. And I want you, this is a very early witness of the early church. So I want you to hear his words as he describes these confessors, people who are routinely persecuted. He says this, they were also so zealous in their imitation of Christ that though they had attained honor and had borne witness not once or twice, But many times, having been brought back to prison from wild beasts covered with burns and scars and wounds, yes, they did not proclaim themselves martyrs, nor did they suffer. And when they say suffer, mean they wouldn't permit anyone to call them that. Nor would they permit us to address them by this name. If any of us, in letter or conversation, spoke of them as martyrs, they rebuked him sharply. And they reminded us of the martyrs who had already departed and said, they are already martyrs whom Christ has deemed worthy to be taken up in their confession, having sealed their testimony by their departure. But we are lowly and humble confessors. Are you getting a feel? Because I think, frankly, this is what our... the the, the The brothers and sisters in our third world nations, in these persecuted nations, they're having the same feeling. They're saying, do not feel sorry for us. Do not pray that God will rescue us. Don't do that. They would say, there are martyrs, but we're not them. Even though we've been in prison, even though we've been beaten, even though we've we've suffered, we do not consider ourselves martyrs. So that's an amazing perspective, and it's a tremendous cultural shift from what we view. You know, we're coming to an election on this Tuesday, and many of us are fretting about, well, what do we do? What do we do? I just want to put this in perspective, folks. We live in a free country, and nothing's going to change on Tuesday that's going to change the freedom that we have to worship. Eh, I know, yeah, I know there's conspiracies out there. I just want to say that I believe that we're going to have freedom and it is going to be our governments that are going to shut us down. We have freedom. And we've had freedom since this country began. But we take it for granted. We take it for granted. There are brothers and sisters that wake up every day and they can't worship like we are. I mean, we, we basically say, do I feel like going to church this weekend or not? I don't know. I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying we take it for granted. I take it for granted. And the attitude of the early church is radically different. And probably the attitude of our brothers and sisters in these eight, the eight most persecuted countries is probably similar to the early church. Well, there was a man named Saul watching that day. The day that Stephen was stoned, it says that the coats were laid, the cloaks were laid by 
by his feet so that they could have the freedom to pick up these stones and really wail them at Stephen and ultimately murder him, stone him to death. Can't imagine what that was like. He approved of it. He heard Stephen's sermon. He heard he saw his last words. He he saw each stone crush and kill Stephen. He saw the glory of God on Stephen's face. He saw all of that. Now, I believe something happened in Saul's life that day. I believe that there was a seed planted in Saul's heart that day that, that took time to blossom and grow. But that uh, because we know that Saul became Paul, and Saul became Paul on a road to Damascus when Jesus said, what was the phrase that Jesus used? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you might say that his heart was turned. And you might say his eyes were open, but actually he was blinded. (laughs) There was a symbolic thing that he was blinded to his old way of life, and then he regained his sight, and his name changed from Saul to Paul, and he became not the number one persecutor of the church, but the number one promoter and propagator of the gospel. Something happened that day in Paul's life. The early church uh, father, Tertullian, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, I said I would get there, and I just want to stop and and say there's a phrase where everywhere in Scripture we see where Jesus is, is described as by the throne. He's seated at the throne. He's always seated at the throne. Seated at the throne. Seated at the throne. This is the only time in Scripture we see it twice where Stephen says, I see heaven and I see Jesus. Standing at the throne. Standing at the throne. Now, the question is, why? Why is Jesus standing instead of sitting? Uh, I think there's, there's probably a lot of good answers for this. But I believe that Jesus rose to receive Stephen into heaven. I think that's what it, what's going on there. And it's interesting to me that in the midst of his persecution, as Stephen found courage, he found courage as he looked where? To heaven. And what did heaven do? Heaven responded by Jesus standing and affirming his message and accepting him into heaven. He was, Stephen was stoned as a heretic, just as Jesus was crucified as a heretic on a cross, because only criminals die on a cross, and only heretics are taken out of the city and stoned. But he is being welcomed as a faithful servant of God, just like Jesus was welcomed into heaven. So what does the future hold for us? Well, we can meet here freely, without fear, condemnation, or physical harm. But many of our brothers and sisters have never experienced the freedom that we so often take for granted. Here's a few things that I would love you to maybe think about and maybe respond to God in the next few days and weeks. Thank God every day for your freedom. Your freedom to worship. Your freedom to assemble. Your freedom to be the church. 
publicly without the fear of being stoned, without the fear of being executed. And realize that you have an opportunity to share the gospel. And what keeps us from doing that? The fear of what? Rejection. The fear of people thinking we're crazy. The fear of losing opportunities. Not our lives. (laughs) Number two, pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters for their witness to be bold, for the gospel to be preached, and for God's mercy and grace to go with them. I think we, we, we don't do them, we don't honor them when we pray for God to get them out of these situations. To get them out of the country, to get them to a safer place. Um, they want to remain with their people because their hearts are for their people. And they want their people to be set free because they understand their people are imprisoned in their souls, in their hearts. And they realize they have a message that can set them free. So even though they're, they're under persecution, even though they're not in a free country, in a free society, they are free spiritually. They are free and they know that one day they'll experience that freedom. It's not here and now, but it will be one day. And they're good with that. Number three, find a way to become a servant, the servant that God designed you to be. Remember, Stephen started as a servant. He ended as a preacher, but he began as a servant. And you know what? We have multiple opportunities to serve within his church. And take your time, take your talent, take your money, and say, how can I serve you, God, with what you've given to me? And you may be surprised at what God points you to. We have a great opportunity to serve. So those are just three things that that I thought about. But our goal in this weekend is for you to say, okay, this is something I may not have considered recently. This is not something I've thought about. This is not something that's entered into my prayer life. This is not something that I've, I've said, Lord, the fact that I'm in a free country and that I can worship, that I can read my Bible openly, that I can assemble together as the church, I have never, I don't know if I've ever thanked you for that freedom. I don't know if I've I thanked you on a regular basis. I don't know if I've taken the gospel because of the risk that it would, would, would I, I feel that I would have because of being dis, dis, uh, disowned by others or misunderstood by others or whatever. And yet my brothers and sisters are risking their very lives. So wrestling with some of those things. That's what I want you to do. That's what we want you to do. We want you to wrestle with this. We want you to feel uncomfortable with what's going on. We don't want you to just go on with your life. We want you to stop and say, this is something, if 75% of of the rest of the world can't do what I do, something is wrong here. And it ought to bother us. And it ought to cause us to at least, at the very least, examine our own lives and pray for them. And if you do that, we are totally successful in what we have done. I want to pray for you right now. Let's pray. And so, Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the early church that was a glowing example of what it means to live the gospel in a, in a world that is hostile, that is dangerous, that is violent. 
Thank you for the freedom that we have in America that we can gather together, we can worship, we can pray, we can sing praise to you, we can uh, read our Bibles. We have a Bible in our own in, in our own language and tongue. We take so many of these things for granted. Help us, Father, to remember our brothers and sisters who are going undergoing tremendous persecution as confessors. Some who are witnesses. Help us never to take it for granted. Help us never to come to a place where we just say, eh, whatever. May it trouble us. Help us to pray good prayers for our brothers and sisters. And Father, if nothing else, may this weekend change us in our global perspective of your church. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.